Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are things going? Things are good. Things are real good. Steeler season's over, so a little more free time. Maybe we'll bring you some more of these podcasts a little bit more regularly. Start to dig into rookies and whatnot. Off-season for fantasy is kind of kicking in now. Off-season is the best season, right? Yeah, it is. And actually, that is exactly what we're going to talk about. That's a, a good accidental segue by you. Williamson. It wasn't accidental. <laughs> I'm not giving you credit for that one. We've got one of our favorite guests. We've we've had him on a few times. My my dynasty worlds are colliding here. I've got both my partners in crime, Matt, you of course, and then we've got uh, Curtis Patrick from. Pro Football Focus. He's the lead dynasty writer there and also my partner in crime over at Dynasty Command Center. Curtis, how's it going? It's fantastic, man. Uh, breaking news like every couple hours. Um, we had the college football championship game uh, just last night and, and that was, you know, you're rocking the, the Clemson uh, hoodie here in, in the spirit. So many players that are going to be playing on Sundays uh, and just a couple months from now that we got to watch and it's almost like there's just news coming from every angle. And just when you start to think that, you know, okay, I'm going to take this piece of news and do this with it, something else changes. And and we've got all these coaching dominoes and coordinator dominoes and free agency and the rookie draft. And it's just a beautiful mess right now. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the coaching thing. That's That's actually where I want to start with you guys. And it feels like, I don't know, maybe as dynasty players, maybe we're just a little more tuned in. Or maybe it is the Sean McVay effect. That's that's what so many people are talking about, how he quickly, of course, turned the Rams around. And we've seen other coaches have, have a major impact on their teams, on their players. In the past, maybe we wouldn't have been following this coaching, the coaching news as closely as we are. But that's that's kind of the state of the game right now. So so far, we've had three coaching hires. And Matt, I wanted to start with you just to get your general thoughts on these and really what what players are going to be impacted the most by these. So let's let's start with the Packers. They hire Matt LaFleur. He was, of course, the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans for just one year. He does come from uh, from the Rams where he coached under McVay for a year as well. What are your thoughts on that that hire? Yeah, and before that, he was with Shanahan in Atlanta, and before that, he was with McVay with the the Redskins. So that's the tree to be on right now if you're a head coaching candidate because if you watch the Titans' offense last year, it wasn't like, wow, this is the brightest new coach in in all the land. I mean, yes, Mariota began the season injured and finished the season injured, but... Do we think he's any better now than he was a year ago or two? I mean, is he taking giant steps forward? It took him a long time to realize what they have in Derrick Henry and how to use them, and then he became the focal point of the offense down the stretch, and that basically worked. But um, it, it's an interesting hire. I mean, he, obviously he is jumping up the, the the ranks of the coaches very, very quickly, almost on a year-to-year basis, promotion, promotion, promotion. And now, you know, is he going to challenge Aaron Rodgers? Is he going to change things? I tend to think he will. I mean, I don't know what kind of head coach he'll be, but I like the idea, and I think Rodgers has looked at the Shanahans and McVeighs around the league and thought, man, I wouldn't mind getting involved in an offense like that. And I think this is 
has his his finger fingerprints all over it. So uh, I think it helps the Packers for sure. I think Rodgers is going to like it. I don't know if he's a good head coach or not, but I think he's a good offensive mind. Curtis, any thoughts on on Lafleur? We needed some side, of, uh, some kind of change in uh, Packers country. Um, I don't know that it really mattered who they hired as long as it was somebody offensive minded uh, that could go in and shake things up. I mean, because basically Devontae Adams was, I mean, he was a home run if you if you invested in him. But even Rodgers, just just the stats this year compared to some of his bigger years, um, it it wasn't really there. So. I don't really know what Lafleur is going to bring other than I can say, I think he did a decent job of adapting the Titans offense this year based on what they had. I mean, I think the cupboards are a little bit more bare there than most dynasty fantasy players would want to admit. Um, We didn't really see Corey Davis ascend Delaney Walker got hurt. And so that crutch was gone. And it just, the balance between Lewis and Henry was back and forth. It just seemed like they were maybe feeling that thing out all season long. Um, but you know, he got good results. So, you know, if, if he's going to go in, into green Bay and evaluate what, what they have and figure out what works, I mean, with Aaron Rodgers and Adams, you got a better start than what you had in Tennessee. Uh, so that's good, but I'm, I'm interested to see what he does with the running backs because Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, um, both scored fantasy points, both, you know, I, I think in dynasty circles, they carry a lot of different, um, reputations uh, between the two, but um, I think that's the thing that's a little concerning. If you're somebody that paid up for Jones, what does that look like for you with Lafleur there next year? Is he going to trust him? But man, I, I wonder if he's going to let an OC call plays or if he's going to call plays. Seems like a lot for a guy that's ascended this rapidly. Yeah, those are all good uh, good points. And you kind of went back to look at the Tennessee Titans, and that's kind of what I'm wondering about. Uh, Derrick Henry with his end of the season has become um, a, a rapidly ascending dynasty value. He's, he's up in, I think, the third or fourth round of dynasty startups, according to our latest ADP. And now he's lost this offensive uh, innovator. And who knows where they're going to turn. I, I saw the name Dave Ragone uh, thrown out. I don't think he has any Uh, Any experience as an offensive coordinator, so we don't necessarily know what he might bring either. But I already had concerns about Henry and his his new lofty value. Now I have even more. Yeah, they want to throw to backs. I mean, I I don't know. I think think he's definitely a dump if you can type of guy. Derrick Henry? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's move on. The Buccaneers made a big hire. I think this is one most people are excited about. Bruce Arians, uh, of course, former... Arizona Cardinals head coach, he did wonders for David Johnson and, and the offense overall there in Arizona. He retired for just one year. He's back, and uh, he'll get to coach Jameis Winston, Mike Evans. And I've already seen rumors, Williamson, people are, are somehow wishing and hoping Le'Veon Bell ends up in Tampa Bay. Would that, is that the new dream landing spot now? Uh, it's certainly a fit. I mean, we saw what Arians did with David Johnson. I mean, as an all-around player, runner, receiver, uh, the Bucks would then be able to, you know, use an early pick or free agency money maybe on a little more line help. Um, it's interesting. I think Arians is good, a good fit here. You know, we know he went from Pittsburgh to Indy, and Luck and Roethlisberger have a lot in common in terms of size, athleticism. I think Winston's in the same mold as both those guys. 
And then he goes to Arizona, has a lot of success with Carson Palmer, who wasn't as athletic as the first two, but was certainly a pocket downfield passer. I think Winston's going to throw deep and throw deep a lot. I think that's good news for Evans. I wonder what they'll do with Deshaun Jackson now. I'd imagine he moves on. But Arian's a good good offensive mind, uh, well-respected around the league, will probably bring some stability to a culture that needs it. I think it's good news for the, for this crew. Curtis, I think the Arians hire is going to bring some dynasty hype to Evans and Winston. Are those guys you would look to sell high immediately? Are you hanging on to those guys? Or are you even buying at what we can presume is going to be a new higher price? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad uh, that you tossed me this one. I, Mike Evans um, immediately becomes a buy for me. I think he belongs back up. Um, in the top five based off of this hire. I mean, if you look at what Arians did for Larry Fitzgerald at the end of his career, using him in that big slot capacity, um, funneling 10-plus targets a game for multiple seasons in a row, um, I, I think Evans, I mean, you have to look at him as a potential overall wide receiver one um, year-to-year in an Arians offense um, from a redraft perspective if he's going to get that type of volume. Um now, you could argue maybe that on a talent basis, Arians never had a number two with the talent in Arizona that Chris Godwin has. So how does that really shake out? But, I, I mean, as, as much as I like Chris Godwin, I, I mean, Evans has proven um, he's, a, he's a red zone presence and a chain mover and a deep threat. Um, he had a really great year this year. I mean, one of the league leaders in, in receiving yards. Um, and there was just so much else going on in the league that, and what last week everyone was talking about, how no one was talking about Evans, I think was the, the running joke on Twitter. But I, I think paying market price um, or even a little extra on Evans is certainly acceptable now. And he had been a guy that I, I'd been moving away a, a little bit from because of previous uncertainty with Winston and, and Godwin being there. I, I also think now the Tampa Bay offense becomes a place where you just start to throw some darts a little bit. Adam Humphrey should be moving on. So um, if, if Evans isn't going to be used in a big slot capacity and, and moved around um, like Larry Fitzgerald and they keep that slot role open for a newcomer, um, that becomes an interesting piece. And then Ronald Jones, who's basically like a pariah amongst dynasty owners if they invested you know, a top five rookie pick last year in him, um, which was ill-advised, but hey, you know it's a sunk cost at this point. Maybe some new life being breathed in to his dynasty value because as attractive as it would be to bring in Le'Veon Bell, especially for an older coach like Arians, who probably isn't going to have the patience to build for four or five years. Maybe you bring that guy in. Um, He might also have the wisdom and see the value of spending whatever available cap space the Bucks have on a higher impact position than running back. And maybe you see what you can get with Ronald Jones and another dart that they throw in the draft this year. Um, So that's very interesting to me, but Love the Arians hire for, for all the Buccaneers, um, especially the ones that, that we had already formerly loved. Curtis, I thought that was a really good point, too, about how you said Arians changed what Larry did and made him much more of a slot. And just want to throw this out there to the listeners, too, because before that, he asked Reggie Wayne to do it. Then he had Heinz Ward do it before that. So all shapes and sizes, he's creating great mismatches out of the slot and moving them around and having them th- do things that are untraditional for them. All right, guys, the last hire that we we have that's official so far is the Cardinals. Of course, Bruce Arians' former team. 
making a, a hire that I've seen many questioning. They bring in Cliff Kingsbury. He's the most recently the Texas Tech head coach. He got some attention in Texas Tech, but he didn't necessarily have a lot of success. I think I saw today that his best finish in the Big 12 was fifth overall. Of course, some tough competition, and Texas Tech is not a not a traditional power necessarily, but it's hard to see a coach going from fifth in the Big 12 to the NFL, even if you're talking about a, a struggling team like the Cardinals. Matt, what what's your take on this one? Is Is this as risky as it looks? Probably. I don't think it's a wonderful job. I don't know that people were beating down their door for to be the head coach of the Cardinals after they fired a guy a year after hiring him. But, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of spread principles, and you guys might know probably know Kingsbury better than I do. They need more receivers, though. I mean, they may only have Christian Kirk, and that's about it, assuming Larry doesn't come back. I would think it's good for David Johnson as a receiver. I think Rosen will be the quick-minded, get-it-out-quick type of guy that this system would use, but he's kind of better under center than a shotgun, but I think he'll be fine. Um, interesting. I mean, I think they'll throw the ball. Curtis, I know it's hard to to really figure out what to expect from Kingsbury, who uh, I don't believe he has any NFL coaching experience, uh, but kind of the same question as, as we posed with the Tampa Bay situation. The pieces there are, are not nearly as proven as what we have with Winston and Evans. Josh Rosen, Christian Kirk, and then, of course, David Johnson. Are these guys potential dynasty buys for you? I don't know. Um, I, I would say maybe with, with Fitzgerald, it makes sense with the changing of the guard that, that they find a way to amicably move on from Larry Fitzgerald and that whole uh, relationship. So that, that would presumably prop up Christian Kirk um, as the, you know, the guy that's going to get targets funneled his way. I'm just uncomfortable with this hire. I, I don't know that Kingsbury's been like a super agreeable personality, and that's kind of the stigma that's followed Josh Rosen as well. This is going to be like the smarmiest offensive meeting room um, <laughs> in the in the league, and uh, yeah, I just don't since the Browns last year. <laughs> yeah, that hits too close to home, man. Um, but yeah, so the, the, really, the only thing that I have for you with Kingsbury is. I mean, he, he's been in Arizona before. I mean, the team drafted him a year before they drafted Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, I, I think they were teammates at one point. And Kingsbury was maybe even uh, potentially going to be uh, a long-term option as a, a quarterback, or they hoped that maybe he would be. So if nothing else, maybe, um, you know, he would have some passion ar- around bringing that, that franchise back and he would be bringing some energy. You just basically hope that him and, and Rosen can get on the same page and have that all-important play caller and, and quarterback trust and relationship that we're seeing around the league. I don't know that this is a place I'm targeting anyone from a dynasty standpoint, and I don't know it's a great place to sell from either because I, I'm, I'm having a hard time imagining anyone's going to be excited about this. So does it really make sense to go sell David Johnson when he's probably already devalued because of the year he had in comparison to expectations? He's probably better off just holding him and then waiting to, to do something with him in August or September when it's like a lineup setting time. The only move I could see doing is maybe Rosen in a super flex two quarterback league. If people are mad at him after his rookie year, I sort of like the player a lot. Maybe you can get him at somewhat of a discount. Well, and if nothing else, uh, I mean, you have to think even with, with little experience and, <laughs> and a questionable, uh, I guess, coaching history, Kingsbury has to be better for Rosen 
than than Steve Wilkes was, right, right, and, and Mike McCoy. So uh, hopefully we see that second year ascension, not on certainly not on the Jared Goff level, and, and not even on the Trubisky level. But uh, we've got to see something better from Josh Rosen. Let's move on, guys. We we try not to be just a, a news news and notes show, but. Matt, I've got to ask you about Antonio Brown. We we kind of hinted about it a little bit last week as far as we're, we're just on to the second season of this Pittsburgh Steelers soap opera that, that starred Le'Veon Bell a year ago, and, and now it's uh, a, a new leading man. Curtis actually brought something to my attention today. There's odds out that you can bet on which team Antonio hmm. Brown will be playing for next year. Matt, I don't know if you've seen this. I haven't, but it's funny. I have a list. That's why I wanted to bring this topic up. Okay, well, we, we can chat about it a little bit. But, Curtis, how how far down the list was Pittsburgh? I believe they're, uh, what, 10th or 12th on the list? Wow. Yeah, of, of the teams that you could actually place a bet on, the Steelers were tied for last at 16-1 to 1 odds. So, I, wow. I, I mean, the sports book's basically begging for you to bet that he's back in Pittsburgh, which is weird. I mean, usually the incumbents in the top three in these types of props. So, you know, that just kind of led me to speculate with Ryan that, you know, maybe they know something either from him or, or from the agent, um, because that's, that's pretty gutsy if they don't know something. Did you say there's 16 teams you can bet on and the Steelers are amongst the worst? Their longest shot. Yeah. There's, there's 11 teams uh, and, and Pittsburgh and Seattle are both, uh, I guess tied for last at sixteen to one odds. Uh, Matt, who would you consider? You said you had a list. Who would you consider the favorite? Yeah, I do. I do a Steelers daily show that's now on hiatus because they got eliminated. But Friday we kind of ended it with, let's go through every team and see who would be interested. And if the Steelers, what would you ask in return? And we're not going to go through all that right now. But what what my partner and I Dale did was we looked at the salary cap room available. Had to make sure that they at least had some decent amount of cap space. So the Dolphins and Washington were two teams we kind of eliminated for that reason. We eliminated the AFC North. I don't think there's any chance they trade them within division. And I don't think they trade them to one of the better AFC teams. So I took the Colts out of the equation too. I mean, like, they're not going to trade them to the Patriots. I, I'm, I feel pretty confident about that. So I then came up with seven teams. And in no particular order, I have Buffalo the Jets, Denver, but if they sign Munchak, I bet he will not be in, interested in that situation if he if he gets hired in Denver. Oakland, which I think is very possible. How about this one? Green Bay, San Fran, and Arizona. All right, so a, a lot of the teams you mentioned are on this list as available uh, teams that you can bet on. The Jets are the favorite, 3-1. to 3-1. Uh, what if they sign A.B. and Bell? <laughs> they could. Uh, I, I, I still don't know if Sam Darnold can can put up fantasy numbers even <laughs> even with those guys around him. I, I mean, I guess give us give us a, a little bit of an insider take. What's the talk there as far as what the price might be in a trade? Yeah, what we were coming up with was I don't think they'll get a top ten pick. So, like a lot of these teams I mentioned are picking pretty high in the draft. Um, but I do think they could definitely get that early second from one of these teams, you know, Buffalo, the Jets, San Fran, Arizona. And I would think that the Steelers would be really interested in a first year or a first contract type player, you know, like 
give me Fred Warner, you know, a good active linebacker from the Niners and that very early second and maybe a future third. Um, I think if you're dealing with Green Bay or Oakland that has multiple firsts, I, I would think you would ask for something in the 20th, 20 range and a third, you know, something like that, maybe. Okay. That's, that seems reasonable, certainly. Yeah. Uh, and, and without, you know, it, it goes without being said that by Juju, by James Washington, mm-hmm. these, these are players uh, you need to be highly aggressive uh, to acquire. Uh, Juju, it's probably too late, honestly. I mean, you're paying, mm-hmm. you're probably paying top three wide receiver prices on him, but uh, maybe James Washington is still a, a gettable target. I think that's, yeah, I think that's fair. All right, guys, let's move on to our next segment. I kind of hinted at this at the beginning. We're going to talk about the offseason. The offseason is now here, of course, for everybody. I I think all all of our uh, fantasy leagues are over. I I know our buddy Chris Wessling plays in a a league that goes throughout the entire season, including the playoffs, but those are few and far between. We're all all in offseason mode, and we've got Curtis here to talk about that. So, Curtis, the offseason is here. Just kind of from a, a personal standpoint, how, how do you feel about that? As a, as a dynasty rider, a fantasy rider, and, of course, a fantasy football player, is, is the offseason something you welcome, or are you already missing that weekly grind? Um, I, I welcome it. It's Right now, um, this kind of 30 days that we're in during the playoffs, it's actually kind of stressful um, because – I feel immense pressure to simultaneously look back at what happened this season and also look forward to next season in order to advise people on the moves that we want to make. I mean, we've already talked about who are some guys that maybe we'd buy in some of these coaching situations. The dust hasn't even settled from what happened this year. Um, The the thing that I've really been challenging myself on um, is not to rely as heavily on what happened, you know, looking forward to 2019, 2018, it doesn't matter as much. I mean, when we have all of these coaches displaced, there's going to be a lot of new play callers in place, um, new coordinators, um, skill players with different quarterbacks, et cetera. I mean, so to start with what happened in 2018 as a, a place for predicting 2019, it's a little bit irresponsible. And I think oftentimes um, rankings and um, projections start there. And you almost have to start from scratch instead. And doing that, while still trying to give advice can, can feel like a lot of pressure at times. Um, but I mean, I welcome the challenge and, and obviously everyone's just trying to improve their team. So from a writing standpoint, kind of going back, looking for anyone that stands out on production versus maybe what a preseason ranking would have been back in August when I was looking at it, making sure that um, I have correctly assessed uh, injury situations, looking at free agents, um, who are the UFAs, who are the RFAs, which teams have options on players. Those are all things that you're kind of doing over these couple weeks while simultaneously looking at the rookie class and starting to figure out what are some of the prime landing spots position by position by position. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what you're doing as a writer. A lot of that overlaps with what I'd be doing as a dynasty owner. The only extra layer that I might add is instead of doing all that macro analysis, in a micro, um, I guess, capacity, looking at each league, each team that I have, did I meet expectations this year or uh, did I fall short? And if I did fall short, what was the reason? Was it injury? Okay, I got to make myself a note 
don't freak out and rebuild just because you fell short of expectations if it was injury driven because you, you know you might be getting those players back and you don't need to feel that panic but if you look at a team and you start getting uncomfortable with your depth or uncomfortable with your your rookie assets now you got to have a plan of attack for what are you going to do between now and and free agency this is a critical month to month and a half where you can maybe make some trades especially in including rookie picks that become a lot harder once we get all the combine information and some free agency uh, has has elapsed and players are in those new spots. So you, you can't be lazy. If, if you're excited about the offseason but just need a break, you got to convince yourself to grind because you're missing one of the prime trade windows of the whole dynasty season. Curtis, Chris, quick question for you because you said that 30-day window that we're in, playoff time. Do you agree that because all eyes are on every game – that this is a great time for a player to spike or fall. I mean, it's just every, everyone's watching. It's not like there's 11 games going on at once. Oh, yeah. It, it's just an extreme example of the island game effect that we even see during the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and DFS has, of course, you know, bled over into dynasty valuation there a little bit. You see people winning a lot of money based off of this Thursday night you know, performance or Sunday night performance at, at the end of a, a small slate or something. And um, it, it just becomes something that people are talking about. We remember the big games. You, you know, you remember that Derrick Henry had four touchdowns this year. If you watch that game, you'll never forget that game. That's always something that's informing your value of that player moving forward. And you get a player that gets, gets hot during the playoffs and games that really matter when all eyes are on them and there's nothing else to talk about on Twitter uh, or in your leagues. I mean, it absolutely matters. So um, you're spot on with that. And it's something that you can leverage either way. You know, you can be right. you can be on both sides of that. You know, you can see that player busting out and maybe you get a sense that, you know, the 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 dynasty owner of that player in your league is going to want to sell high. All right. We'll go buy him. Just make sure that you negotiate that his, you know, his value of high is uh in line with what you think high value is for that player. And and you could go in another league and sell the exact same player. So, all it does is create market opportunity. And um, I, I think this could be important for later in the show or just a general theme. We often want to force players into buy and sell buckets. And there might be times when that's appropriate. But but really, every player is a buy and a sell, right? I mean, everything's got a price. <laughs> right. Uh, everything's got a price. And league to league, what you're willing to pay could change based on lineup settings and how many players you have to start and the scoring settings. So, you know. Maybe a challenge as you enter this offseason for your personal strategy, you know, for the listeners is be a little bit more open to rostering players that you might not uh, might not be your favorite or, you you know, you, you've made an effort to sell them. Well, maybe you want to buy them back if, if the situation's changed. Curtis, you covered a lot there, and we're going to get into more detail about uh, most of those topics. Let's start specifically with player value, and it, it happens every single season as soon as but essentially, as soon as week 16 wraps up, we see player value changing. Veterans become essentially like the hot potato that nobody even wants to roster, while every young player, regardless if they put up put up stats or not, uh, is a player that we want to take a chance on and, and stick on the end of our roster. We talk a lot about on this show about buying veterans during the offseason. Is that something that you found yourself doing typically? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, 
I'll buy any player any time of the year, I guess. Um, I, I understand that, that the market is there for veterans in the offseason more than during the season, and, and um, there's a little bit of deflation that goes on there. The most important thing about uh, buying veterans this time of year is figuring out which ones you ought to be buying, um, which ones are going to fall off the cliff if you wait just a little bit longer. You know, like uh, a year or two ago, Demarius Thomas comes to mind. You know, you buy him in January versus June, it was probably the equivalent of, of uh, saving an early second um, to go buy him. Where if you buy him right now, the season just happened, um, you know, and I guess I'm rewinding the clock two years, but you buy him right after the season, it's still fresh that he was scoring fantasy points, and, and he's not 30 yet. He's turning 30 in like two or three months. So um, you let some of those things happen. So look at the players that are veterans that are going to hit some of those benchmarks. Age 30 cliff is classic for receivers. People start freaking out there after age 28 for backs over the age of 32 for tight ends um, are some, some good places to kind of rough sort some players where maybe you see some opportunity and, and then figure out what time of year is going to be right. Are they going to be a free agent? Are they recovering from injury? Um, and, and that's how you do it. You got to be more specific. You know, I'd, I'd feel irresponsible just saying, let's, let's go buy all the players over a certain age um, this time of year. Yep, good point for sure. What about uh, any changes in positional value? Do you see quarterbacks cheaper in the offseason versus regular season or or maybe a change at the running back? Have you experienced any of that? I've experienced it, but I think it's going to be different this year versus years past. Um, you know, every year for the last three to four years, I think that running backs, if they're over even like the age of 25, would get a little cheaper in the offseason and the younger receivers just because of the scoring trends in the league and the lack of weight of quality depth at the top of the running back position caused us to want to move those guys. Like every high-performing running back became a classic, like let's sell him and let's get out from under him. But there's so many of those backs that are under the age of 25 that were fantasy contributors and, you know, um, you know, hoped people to playoffs and titles this year and, and I see roster balance in the way that people are utilizing the flex position changing a little bit. I, I think this year you're going to see more insulation at the running back position in the offseason than in years past. That's also because the, the perception of the incoming rookie crop for 2019 at that position is weaker. So if you don't have people who are naturally going to you know, ascend out of that draft class, that, you know, that kind of serves to insulate the incumbents that are in the league. So I think this is a season where um, I will, again, be looking to pivot from back to receiver, but I think that's going to be more of a unique approach versus what the majority of the community will be doing. I've seen so many people clamoring to try to buy, um, like, you know, McCaffrey and Chubb, and those are the sexy guys to own, where just a year or two ago it was everyone wanting to buy Amari Cooper and Corey Davis and the younger crop of receivers. I think if you want to build wide receiver heavy, this is your offseason to do it. It just kind of dawned on me as you were talking. I wonder, because the tight end market was so strange in 2018, that if there's some owners out there that suffered with you know bad tight ends all year, that have said, this offseason, I'm going and getting one. I don't care what it costs me. I'm If it's Jared Cook or whoever, I'll give you whatever you need. I'm done with that tight end mess. Yeah, I mean, I think tight end premium leagues and start two tight ends for sure. And start one tight end, I feel like the market's pretty split. The community's split. A lot of people just kind of ignoring the position. Um, but on tight ends, um, I, I think there are buy opportunities for, for a lot of them. And I, I'll save some of the names for, 
for later in the show, but especially some younger guys that maybe some situational factors cause them not to break out this year. Well, thinking about buying tight ends, and Curtis, you mentioned a little bit this rookie class. This looks like one of the most stacked tight end rookie classes we've seen in some time, and and that maybe even includes the the one we saw just a couple of years ago with Ingram and Howard and Joku and Kittle. Uh, so let's let's move to a little bit of rookie talk. I know, uh, of course, we have been doing some work with those rookies. Uh, tell us a little bit about what we've got going at Dynasty Command Center. Okay, great. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk some rookies uh, with you guys. Um, obviously, over at uh, Command Center, we've got uh, the Dynasty Command Center um, Rookie Guide Series. Um, it's a three-parter uh, that we're doing. The pre-combine issue is out right now. Um, in that, we overview the 2019 class, um, compare that to the 2018 and 2020 classes. We did talk a lot about that on a, the, the first episode of the Dynasty Command Center uh, podcast with Travis May just the other day, talking about the, the tight ends this year. We, we also looked at... Uh, you know, available fantasy opportunity grades in the NFL. So we've talked a lot about contracts and coaching situations, but we also get into the depth at each position on each team in the league and where some of those home run spots might be versus uh, some places that you'd really prefer your favorite prospect would avoid. I think we went, what, 50 players deep for overall rankings, adjusted for super flex, adjusted for tight end premium. We had a 30-player watch list. We had 25 deep on IDP. Uh, we even had an article that maybe uh, could serve to teach some lessons from, from Kyle Francis called Alternate Universe. And, you know, a player that was uh, talked about a lot on the timelines last night during the national title game was Josh Jacobs. And he, you know, for example, wrote an article on what might Jacobs' college career have looked like if he had gone to a smaller school like you know, Wyoming and, and what that would have meant for his statistical profile and how much we would know about him versus kind of just being one of the guys in the room at a uh, perennial power like Alabama. So lots of stuff in there. Um, I feel like I'm more prepared this offseason to talk rookies than, than any uh, offseason in my dynasty career. And uh, I guess just to come full circle back to the tight ends, you know, we, we have like seven or eight guys in our top 50 at that position, even for the, you know, just tight end premium, not even start to tight end. So that speaks to the quality of depth at that position. And also some of the room that's made for them there is the weakness at the running back position. Yeah. Yeah. This, if, if this is the year and, and you kind of alluded to it earlier with your wide receiver versus running back comment, if you're looking for running backs, and young ones, this is not the year to stock up on, on draft picks. It looks like a stacked, not only tight end class, but wide receiver class as well. I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of dynasty players are probably starting fresh. They focus on their dynasty teams and maybe maybe they're not watching college football or not just not paying attention to those upcoming classes at all yet, which is very common. So for a dynasty player that's listening to this and, and kind of starting from scratch with that 2019 class, other than checking out our rookie guide at DCC, what else would you suggest they do? Well, the, the first thing I would want you to know is I don't think there's a lot of 2019 season saviors in this class because it's so wide receiver and tight end heavy with where the quality is. 
year one breakouts are going to be a little bit fewer and further between than we've seen in recent years. I mean, everyone knows, I mean, running back opportunity is the easiest way to get bang for your buck uh, through the draft and, and, you know, throwing some darts in the, in, in the later rounds and hoping that the, an injury occurs. I mean, that doesn't really change for this year, but just the number of names that are available um, for those spots based off of all the backs that have come in the league over the last couple of years and now hold down those, um, those desirable positions and just the number of backs we even expect to get drafted this year um, create some issues. So it's a class you're going to want to be patient with. If you're rebuilding and you have no chance of competing in 2019, I don't mind hoarding some picks, uh, especially throughout up and down the top 18 and building around that because I really don't think you can go wrong throwing three or four darts in the top round and a half at a handful of receivers. You're going to get some quality there. Uh, we feel like there's some guys that kind of can be uh, target hogs and downfield threats and red zone threats. Some guys that maybe we haven't seen in, in the last couple classes. Some people that maybe are on par with some of those receivers in the historic 2014 class. This is, you know, I'm not going to call this class on par with the 2014 class, but I think we could get some players that are on that level uh, of the OBJs and the, the Jarvis Landrys of the world that have really become fantasy superstars. We just might have to be patient for a year or two before we see it. That's the main thing that I would say. You got to know that about the 2019 class. The other thing I would say is the longer you wait, if you want to buy picks, the longer you wait, if you're starting fresh, the more expensive those picks get. So if you're going to try to add to your arsenal, you, you need to do it in the next week or two. As soon as we start getting combine hype and all the NFL declarations are over, uh, it's, it's game time, and it's going to be very difficult to buy picks. Curtis, is it safe to say that if I asked you, who is your vote for 2019 NFL Rookie of the Year offensive, you know, foot, fantasy aside, that you would have less of a shot at getting it right than ever? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I would not make like that bet. Last if, year you said Barkley, you know, right, right, right. If any if anyone's health that I cared about was on the line, I would not yeah, I would not <laughs> right. even give you a name. It is uh Ryan and, and Travis May and I talked about this the other day, and it's just like I mean, all three of us, I mean I feel like we typically see players the same way. We can't even agree on who the top wide receiver is at this juncture. Um that's I mean, it's a good and a bad thing. It's it's bad right now because we can't say, you know, it's not like, you know, Leonard Fournette or Saquon Barkley or some of these players we've had in years past where there was pretty much a consensus. If you've got the 101, it's worth X. And it's, he's definitely going to be a top 20 uh, startup value from the, the time he enters the league. I really don't know that that's the case. Um, but because of, because of that, um, it offers some opportunity to move around. And if you do land on some guys that you like, if, if you read our publication and, and find who we like and who you're comfortable with, gather those picks up, and you can feel pretty good about the collection uh, that, that you amassed there. Curtis, let's hit another, uh, a couple other off-season topics that Dynasty owners uh, just have to be on top of. Let's start with the waiver wire. I think it's crucial to manage the waiver wire throughout the off-season. Uh, there's news that you were kind of alluding to earlier. That there's breaking news almost nonstop at this point throughout the off-season, whether it's how these coaching hires uh, might impact players, and, and then once we get into free agency, then it's really all going to to bust loose. So 
in general, and you can give us some specific names or you can just talk in generalities, who are some players that you would typically drop this time of year? Are you getting rid of some of those older players that, that you might have hung on to or are you are you giving up on any specific roster cloggers this time of year? Yeah, um, but the only category of player that I typically will give up on, and, and of course uh, I would preface this with what's, what's the um, roster – settings of your league i mean if it's like a 30-man a roster league it doesn't really make sense to drop to drop people um right now because um, pretty much anyone you drop is going to be scooped up right away um, but if it's a shallower league or a more traditional league with like 20 to 24 players you know somebody like alan hearns um starting to get uh in, into the middle of what should be his prime and he's probably you know at, at this point not looking like a player that will ever get targets in Dallas. Uh, he had a prime opportunity, didn't really take off with it this year. Now he's got a gruesome injury to come back from. Amari Cooper's in town. Gallup's only going to be a year older and, and more uh, mature and, and aware of what his expectations are on the offense for him. So that's that's the type of player I'm looking at. Or just an ancient guy um, who was more NFL valuable than fantasy valuable. Like Darren Sproles, I mean, God love him. I, I think I'm the same age as him, and he's out there doing it back right. there. But even with the opportunities that he got, I mean, we weren't really starting him anywhere. And he's fun to watch, and it's a fun story, and, and I love that he came back from that. But he's just not somebody that I can see in any situation ever making my lineup, even if, like, the situation changed with the Eagles. Um, in a really shallow league, I start to look at what quarterbacks might I have picked up just to block opponents a name like Blake Bortles, I don't know what he's going to be and what's his situation next year. Like in a 20-man league, I'm not holding on to Blake Bortles. Let somebody else waste a roster spot on him. Or somebody like Nick Mullins, who um, was viable um, during the season. But now, I mean, we know Jimmy G's getting the job back. And uh, if somebody else wants to waste that spot on Mullins, go ahead and let him. Those are the types of players that I'm typically going to churn. Otherwise, I like to be patient because I probably added that player for a reason. What about like Wilson in San Francisco with McKinnon coming back and Breed is ahead of him? Yeah, um, I, I think it's just the depth of the league. Um, w- Wilson, I, I probably wouldn't be too patient with because, you know, I expect McKinnon to get a shot if he's right. And I do think Breed is a better talent than Wilson. I mean, I think that that's probably not up for debate based off of what they each did with their opportunities. If it's like a, you know, again, if it's 28 to 30 guys, doesn't make a lot of sense to cut him until – you're bringing your rookie pick in and then he's forced off your roster. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, 20, 24 guys. Yeah. I'm probably going to cut, cut bait with somebody like Jeffrey Wilson. All right. Let's, uh, let's kind of go to the, the opposite end of that spectrum. Uh, who are some players that you're looking on your waiver wire, uh, to see if you can stash at the end of your bench this time of year, any specifics? Yeah. I like to find players who, popped a little bit but then just something went wrong uh during the season it might have been team-based or maybe that maybe they had an injury and they're a little younger or a different situation than than like what we talked about with Alan Hearns so um somebody like I mean this is a name that how many times has this been mentioned on Dynasty Podcast Rashad Perriman okay he's in a new situation (laughs) he he showed that he can be a situational deep threat uh in the league and I don't know if Cleveland's going to re-sign him for next year but if I had He'll to be an start, NFL player, though. Yeah, I mean, he, he's probably going to stick. <laughs> he's going to stick now. And if he stays in Cleveland, especially, if you got to start 10 or 11 players, I could see some 
some weeks where, you know, Perriman could probably make your lineup. Uh, you just hope that he scores the long touchdown, kind of like uh, Travis Benjamin a year or two ago. Um, somebody like C.J. Uzoma, who could end up, you know, I think he's a free agent, and really all the guys in, in uh, Cincinnati might might turn over there, but he looked like he had some ability, and then we had to go to Driscoll, and uh, the team kind of just fell apart. But if he were to get re-signed, um, you know, you can probably pencil him in for 70, 80 targets in as big of a mess as, as tight end is, especially in a premium or start two. If somebody gets impatient with Uzoma, he's a type of player that I would add. Or somebody in shallower leagues like Albert Wilson, who looked awesome uh, before he went down. But now Gase is gone. Miami's situation is going to be different. He could really uh, be useful next season. But, you know, again, it's so hard giving waiver wire advice because every league is, is different. You know, and what does that pool look like? And is it true? Um, you know, first come, first serve. Or are you bidding on those players? So the best thing that you can do if you're confused about what to, what to do in that is find some trusted analysts um, that might take an extra minute or two to understand your situation before you cut them. You know, I, I think it was Brian Malone um, that told me this one time, but, you know, the waiver wire is basically like making a trade. You know, and, and even if you have an empty spot, and this is something that me and TJ Calkins talk about all the time, if you have an empty spot, you're still making a trade. You know, the roster spot is worth something. So the player you're going to put on your roster needs to be worthy of that spot, uh, especially in the offseason, because as soon as you got that player on there, maybe you're, you know, now you got to make a trade the next time. So think about it that way. It's not just as simple as adding the name to the end of your roster. It needs to be a little bit more uh, of an intensive process. So you can add people like me or Ryan, or you can join something like Dynasty Command Center, or you know maybe you have just a group of friends you like to talk to about Dynasty. Bounce those things off of each other with waivers because it really is situational based. Yeah, let's let's finish up today with Dynasty the the trade market, which and that's situational based in a lot of circumstances as well. But it's probably the most most discussed, at least maybe the most important. Uh, thing you can you can really focus on in the offseason as you build your team so how does your overall trading strategy alter in the offseason so I kind of alluded to it the uh, I guess I didn't allude to it I mentioned it at the top of the pod Uh, I try to spend a couple minutes with every team in my portfolio what are the needs and um, my trade strategy is going to be different for each team based off of what rookie capital I have I mean what are the things that I have that I think are desirable assets and what are the realistic goals for that team in the next season? So if this has been a playoff team that is a, a true competitor and it's not stuck in like that purgatory of, of you know, praying to be a wild card, I'm probably going to be aggressive. And, and I've already talked about the fact that I don't see a lot of year one uh, fantasy impact players per se in this class. So if I find a team where um, I'm in a title window and I have a lot of rookie picks, probably moving those picks for established players. Um, conversely, if I have a team that maybe struggled to make the playoffs or missed, uh, and, and it's a little veteran heavy, like maybe I was loading up this year and I fell short, I'm going to move those players for the picks and kick, kickstart the rebuild. So it is situational based, but you just, you, you know, it, it's like if, if you want to buy a property property or something, a bank's going to look at what are the assets you have to put up uh, for that. And, and, you know, they're going to assess you on that basis. So if I want to buy players, I got to assess my team and the other teams. What are the things that we could exchange? After you look at your own team, you got to look at your competitors and who are the teams that look like they could be good trade partners. And then you just start the, you start the dialogue. 
Um, you don't even have to talk players first. Just, hey, it's the offseason now. Um, looks like our teams might be, you know, complementary. Let's see if we can work something out that works for both of us out of the draft. And just kind of starting and letting that process be organic, especially if it's somebody that, you know, you have a, a trade history with. So it sounds like that that's kind of your process for determining which players are, are buys or sells, or as well as seeking out those uh, trade partners. You mentioned this earlier in the sh- in the show, so we'll wrap up with this. And I I know you said that every player is a buy or a sell depending on the circumstances, and obviously depending on the price. Uh, but let's let's put some names in these categories. Who are some players? With the season now in in the rearview mirror, who are some players that you would uh, be aggressively pursuing as uh, in that trade market as a buy? So in in superflex, um, if it can be done, uh, I would I would definitely be willing to pay up for Baker Mayfield. Um, what he did this year is unprecedented as a rookie. Obviously, setting some records, and he didn't even get to start every game. I think that, I mean, the guy's just going to be a rocket ship. And um, I think he's approaching, I, I would expect him to approach top six maybe in dynasty quarterback rankings when, when January uh, ADP data comes out. Um, but by this time next year, I'd be shocked if he's not top three or four. Um, so, it, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just buy players on the way up. And, you know, you pay more for them today than you did a month ago, but it's still less than it'll be 12 months from now. Um, moving on to running back, you'd rather have them than Wilson or Rogers or Newton or those type of guys that have been at the top. Uh, I think I'd rather have them than Newton for sure. At this point, I mean, you yeah, got, you got, Newton, yeah, so, you got yeah. the injury concerns and, um, not really sure that the way they're structuring that offense is as big for him in, in fantasy anymore. Yeah. I think in the right situation, I might, I might start preferring Baker to Aaron Rodgers, especially if there can be a balancing piece mm-hmm. there age considerations and I mean at this point can you find anyone that doesn't believe in Baker Mayfield's talent I mean I I can't find that guy other than you know what what Colin Cowherd I think is uh (laughs) uh, likes to push the button there but I don't have any leagues that I'm playing with Colin so um so so Baker's a guy that I would aggressively buy maybe an aggressive sell um right now and Matt maybe you can chime in here because it's a it's a stealer but I hate that the Steelers moved on from James Saxon and uh, b- because of that, Connor is kind of a glaring sell for me right now. Um, they started to use a little bit more of a committee approach there. And Saxon, I think, has really been the driving force between running back usage there. We saw that they maintained the same type of running back usage even after Haley left. And if you go back and look at some of the teams that Saxon's been the running back coach for, uh, you know, uh, Kansas City and Minnesota and Miami – and it was all during the time periods when we had big-time fantasy bell cows there. And so I'm a little concerned about Connor, and he crept into top 12 running back territory, I think, in December, and I don't expect that will have changed very much for January. What do you think about Connor moving forward? Yeah, I also think there's a chance they sign Latavius Murray, Jay Ajayi, uh, Ware, somebody like that as opposed to adding another rookie. I, I can see them gumming things up a little bit in the offseason. I, I think Connor's been a little bit of a sell anyways. I think he's kind of been slightly above average talent, and I think it's a good point there with the, the position coach change too. Well, I, I liked him. I, he was a buy for me even midseason on the way up, but it just goes to show you it just takes a little bit of a situational change and a change in market value to make a player fall into a different category. So, um, you know, but if enough people feel the same way that I do, 
you know, six weeks from now he could be a buy again. You know, it's it's a roller coaster. <laughs> right, right. It's a roller coaster with these guys and it's dynamic. Everyone market. just listen now. He's cheap. So wide yeah. receivers, um, Ryan, you mentioned James Washington earlier. That's probably my favorite speculative target right now, uh, and it's a little cheaper to do business there than on some of these other guys. Um, just on the off chance that that AB is out of town, geez, the opportunity for Washington would be huge. I, I think something approaching Juju's 2017 season where you know he had a lot of efficiency but maybe not the target volume, I could see Washington fitting into a role like that, especially considering his skill set being a little bit more suited to um, – intermediate and, and deeper down the field routes in that I think there would be a hole there uh, if Antonio Brown were to leave. So I have no problem being a little aggressive, maybe paying a pair of seconds for Washington or a late first for Washington and a third or something like that, I think are, are trades that I'd be comfortable with. You know, and that might be a player that people feel like they overdrafted this season. You got a little bit of a window there. At tight end, how about Mike Gesicki? Adam Gase is gone, never really figured out tight end. Everyone thinks that, you know, the tight end class is fantastic, but maybe what about a guy that now has some chops in the league and um, it's not all brand new for, and he was a younger prospect anyway, can have a change at OC. I don't mind throwing a dart at somebody like that. I mean, athletically, he's, he's up there in the upper echelon of what we have seen uh, for tight ends at the combine in recent memory. And nothing has really, I mean, if he was in this tight end class, I think he would be right up near the top uh, af- after the combine anyway. Uh, as you would compare to some of these guys. So, um, hey, what do you think about Gasicki, Ryan? I love the Gasicki call. Um, I mean, he was my tight end one in this class uh, this time last year, and we've seen we've seen many of these rookies really impress, and and many of them in surprising fashion. Ian Thomas, Chris Herndon, guys like that. And I, I'm I guess I've really been shocked that so many people that I've interacted with on Twitter and and other places are just ready to throw in the towel in Gasicki. So to, to me, he's he's an easy buy. Not only a player I like, but his, his value and his price has dropped, and that's a good combination for me. All right, guys, I think that's going to do it today. Curtis, you have us ready for the offseason. Great stuff from you. Uh, we're ready for rookie drafts. We're ready to attack that waiver wire and be aggressive in the trade market as well. Uh, before we go here, let's uh, just tell our – Tell our listeners where they can find your work. Yeah, sure. So the big place to, to find my stuff right now is uh, with, with Dynasty Command Center. Lots of energy and effort going into our rookie analysis. So if, if you haven't heard of us or maybe you heard of us last time that, that I was on uh, with you guys earlier in the season, DynastyCommandCenter.com tells you uh, kind of what's within our, our range of service offerings. The main thing is the Slack um, Slack is an app uh, where you can communicate and there's a lot of different channels and people like me and Ryan and Travis May, uh, Tom Kislingberry on the IDP side and, and others. Um, we, we run different um, channels of content. So you might want to talk about trades or waivers or what do you think about players, team strategy, startup draft help, even on the clock startup draft help. So it's a community where we all help each other and you have direct, a- direct access uh, to some of uh, your favorite dynasty analysts around the clock, uh, day in, day out. And it's, it's really just been fun to watch that community grow. We even ended up hiring one of our members um, to become an analyst uh, recently, Scott Connor, and he's just done a fantastic job with roster composition. And some of his uh, some of his recommendations have been great. You'll hear him on the Dynasty Command Center pod to come. And then you got to check out 
the Rookie Guide series. You can read about that on, on the website as well. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Volume 1, the pre-combine edition, is out right now. We will release Volume 2 uh, about a week after the NFL Combine with updated rankings, tiers, additional uh, article-based analysis, and um, make, always trying to make that highly applicable. Uh, I think we had six different contributors in, in Volume 1. That will probably even go up for Volume 2. And then Volume 3, you get about a week after the NFL draft, uh, just in time for many of your rookie drafts. 1999 gets all three copies. You pay once, we send them to you as they're done. Um, so make sure you check that out at DynastyCommandCenter.com and uh, always willing to engage with you on Twitter as well, at CPatrickNFL. All right, thanks again, Curtis. Great stuff from you. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprints.